Y'all ready to go on a trip this morning? Everybody loves to go on a trip, don't you? You ready to go? I'm going to be your tour guide. You might be in trouble. <laughs> I tell you what, if you're going to go on a trip, what do you need? You need, a, you need some water, don't you? Some sunscreen? Maybe a change of clothes, right? You ready to go? You don't look prepared this morning. I'm going to come out of that. I'm not going to preach in a hat. We want to take a journey this morning, and ultimately, I better move back so those upstairs can see me. Uh, ultimately, we're going to go on the journey of faith. But uh, before we do that, we're going to talk about some other fun places to go. And I've got some places on my clipboard that I want to be your tour guide to and some uh, fun Fun facts and fast facts here, but before I get into some of these locations, I want to hear where you want to go. If you could have your dream trip, uh, vacation, where would you like to go? Where would you go, Chris? Hawaii. Hawaii. Okay. Now, would you surf while you were out there? You try. Okay. Well, you're in shape for it. You do those 24-hour endurance bike races, so used to. Okay. Okay. Hawaii, somebody else. Where? New Zealand. Now, why would you want to go to New Zealand? Okay. It's supposed to be beautiful, isn't it? I hear it's one of the most beautiful places. I see a hand up. Where would you want to go? Disney World. <laughs> well, we're actually going to talk about that one in a minute. Somebody else over here. Kevin, where do you want to go? Switzerland. Going skiing? Chocolate, okay. Sherry says, yeah, chocolate, chocolate. Somebody else, where would you want to go? The Holy Land. That, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing this year too. <laughs> Thanks to you folks, your generosity. Somebody else? Alaska. And why Alaska? James has always wanted to go. Wanted to go. Okay. <laughs> go hunting while you're there? Fishing, good answer, good answer. Somebody else, way back here. China, okay. Now what would you want to see in China? The Great Wall. Well, I tell you what, y'all are reading my notes this morning. Uh, uh, several of the answers given, places we're going to uh, take a journey on before we open our Bibles this morning. Somebody else, somebody. Where? Paris, Okay. And what all, tell me some of the things you would see in Paris. You want to go shopping. Okay, okay, okay. Now, I imagine most of us probably this summer are just getting ready to go to places like the mountains or the beach, right? But a lot of great places in the world to see, aren't there? And maybe one of these days we'll get to see some of these places. It's funny, I asked Butch Black in the service this morning. Uh, he was sitting where Darren is, and I said, Butch, where do you want to go? And he said, Carabas. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, I'm going to be your tour guide. Miss Jennifer wants us to go to uh, several destinations this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about those. And the first place 
we want to visit today is China and the Great Wall of China. And I believe as I'm talking about, yeah, I tell you what, that's, that's some more wall, isn't it? Big, big wall. Now, when we talk about going to the Great Wall of China, we're not talking about that restaurant over in Charlotte, okay? <laughs> now, how long, how many miles do you think the Great Wall of China is? Any guesses? Now, by the way, I want to tell you, nobody in the early service got it right. So I'll take the pressure off you. Nobody got it right. How, how long is the Great Wall of China? 500 miles? Okay. Warming up. That's getting started. 5,000 miles? Very close. Anybody else know? Somebody else? Ed? Very, very close to the Great Wall of China is 5,500 miles long. Boy, now that's a big fence around your yard, isn't it? You know how long it's, it's said that it took them to build that? Anybody want to guess how many years they built it over? How about this little girl back here? 55 years, okay. Uh, how many years? A week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> they worked on the Great Wall of China over 2,000 years. Wow. That's quite a construction project, isn't it? Some of you built houses before. Maybe you thought your contractor was never going to finish. Boy, that 2,000 years building that. The Great Wall of China is considered one of the new seven wonders of the world. As I say, it's 5,500 miles long. Now, to put that in perspective, from coast to coast in the U.S. is roughly about 3,000 miles. So, almost coast to coast and back again is how long that is. That's some more wall. And it, at points, it's as much as 30 feet high. Uh, and... 30 feet high and 50 feet wide. Now, does anybody know why it was built? Why was the Great Wall of China built? Up here in the balcony. That's right. That's right. Uh, they built it as a uh, military security thing so that the folks from inner Mongolia couldn't come over into China. It was a security thing. And that's why you'll see like in the picture here, there's towers built all throughout it. So they could put soldiers there that would be on the lookout for the enemy coming. Now, it took a lot of people to build this wall. They used prisoners, they used slaves, they used soldiers, and they used just a whole bunch of people in the country who needed jobs, and they put them to work. Now, what, uh, what do you think happened to some of them as they were working on the wall? A lot, that many people working on the wall that many years, you can imagine a lot of people in the course of the construction, they died. What did they do with them? Put them in the wall. Built over them and just kept going. So it's like a 5,500-mile-long 5, cemetery. All sorts of people buried in it. Now, folks, that's the first place we want to go. 
Great Wall. One other fun fact I want to give you. I just want to see if anybody in here knows the answer to this, if this is true or false. You know, it's been said for a long time that astronauts going up in space as they're first getting up in the atmosphere. And so you can get up in space or from the moon. Uh, you can land on the moon and you can look back to the earth and you can see the Great Wall of China from the moon. Is that true? False. Y'all are smarter than the first group. <laughs> Some of them in the first group said true and I, wrong. F for the day. But y'all got an A. No, you cannot see the Great Wall of China from space. That's kind of a myth people have perpetuated from time to time. But it's not true. One thing they do have to do with the wall, uh, tourists go to it, millions and millions of tourists every year, and they, they'll take their pocket knives out or a sharp pen or something, a metal pen, they'll chip out little chunks of it to put a little souvenir of the Great Wall of China in their pocket. And got tons and tons of people doing that, and then something that's 2,000 years of age. As you can imagine, there's just a lot of maintenance got to be done on that wall over time. They've, they've had to do that. Now, second place we want to go, uh, we want to leave, get an airplane, let's leave the Great Wall of China, and let's go over to Paris, France. And what are we going to find in Paris, France? We're going to find the Eiffel Tower, that's right. The Eiffel Tower is one of the most recognized structures in the whole world, and about 7 million people a year visit the Eiffel Tower. Now it's quiz time again, okay? Why was the Eiffel Tower built? Does anybody know? Why was the Eiffel Tower built? Chip, you know? Nope, okay. Brad? You cheat. <laughs> you bet, okay, he knows. Okay. Uh, they built it to be the gateway entrance and arch into the World's Fair that they hosted in 1889. That's why it was built. Now, it's 1,050 feet high, and for 41 years, it was the tallest man-made structure in the world. It's made of iron and weighs about 10,000 tons or about 20 million pounds. That's a lot of weight, isn't it? Every seven years, they have to paint it with 120,000 pounds of paint. I don't know how many gallons that would be, but 120,000 pounds of paint every seven years just to kind of hold the rust back. Does anybody know what it's nicknamed? What do the French call it? The Iron Lady. That fits, doesn't it? Okay, let's jump on plane again. You ready to go? You ready to go? You sure? You sure? Y'all not that alert this morning, are you? You ready to go? Okay, let's fly back to the U.S. and let's go out west and let's visit the Grand Canyon. Does anybody know how long the Grand Canyon is? 277 miles. How many states does the Grand Canyon cover? 
Come on, class. How many? How many? I gotta pick somebody who wasn't in the early service. Who wasn't in early service? Raise your hand if you weren't in early service. Okay? How many states does the Grand Canyon cover? Four. Okay. You agree with if you agree with four, raise your hand if you think it covers four states. A lot of hands. You got some on your side. How who else? How many states? Tim, how many does it cover? Three. Okay. Jerry? Five? Sherry? Three. Okay. How many says three? How many says five? Grand Canyon's in one state. (laughs) 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 You fell that part too. But early church did too, so hey. 6,000 feet deep in places. And boys and girls, what is it that runs way down near at the bottom of the Grand Canyon? What is it? The river. Which river? Colorado River. Anybody in here ever hiked down into it or rode a, a mule or a horse down into the Grand Canyon? You can do that. Anybody in here done that? No? No? Okay. Have you been there? Anybody in here been there? Okay. Yeah, better. Okay. You can hike or ride a mule down into it. If you get a special permit from the parks department, you can even go down in there and camp overnight. A lot of people do that. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump on a plane again and let's go somewhere else. One more place we want to go. Boys and girls are going to love this place. In fact, I bet a lot of you are going here this summer. Disney World. Disney World. Now, if you went to Disney World, who would you see there? What are some of the characters you would see at Disney World? Who? Mickey Mouse? Okay. (laughs) He took my punchline, Jonathan Turner. (laughs) He's up there. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Mouse, Cinderella. In 1971, when they opened the park, now adults talk about inflation. How much do you think an adult ticket was? How much? $5? Close. $25? $3.50. About $85 now for an adult ticket. Tallest structure, actually this kind of debated. See, Cinderella's castle is 189 feet, which is the tallest structure in the park proper. But actually the Tower of Terror is a little bit taller, 199 feet, but it's over in the MGM area. Walt Disney World Railroad, it's a real 1928 steam-powered train. Did you know that Walt Disney designed Main Street USA after his hometown in Missouri? There's 60,000 employees there making it the biggest single site employer in the nation. Well, I appreciate you going on those journeys with me this morning, boys and girls. Can you stay? (laughs) You don't want to go back home, do you? Let's, uh, let's take another journey this morning. In fact, the most important journey of all in life, the journey of faith. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 
Timothy chapter 1. And uh, mainly in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to talk to the moms and dads, okay? Mainly addressing the moms and dads. Pick up reading with me in verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Now as we come to the book of 2 Timothy we know that the Apostle Paul is now in prison for the second time. The first time the Apostle Paul was in prison, it was more like house arrest. And if you read the book of Acts, you get Acts 28 and how Acts 28 closes out. Paul is under house arrest. And it appears that he has a great deal of freedom for people to come and see him and visit with him. And he wrote some of the captivity letters of the New Testament, a book of the Bible like Philippians. Everybody loves the book of Philippians. Great book. Talks about joy and God supplying all of our needs. That's one of the captivity epistles that Paul talked about joy and rejoicing in the Lord and not worrying when he was under house arrest. And you read the book of Philippians and you can see that Paul was expecting that he was going to be released. Sure enough, he was. And so he went back to preaching the gospel. He was arrested again. This time he was thrown in a cold, dark dungeon in Rome. And uh, he's not expecting release this time. And indeed, uh, history and tradition tells us He wasn't released. He was martyred for his faith. Nero chopped his head off. Now Nero was the emperor and he didn't like Christians. There's big fire in Rome and a lot of the slum area was burned down. And and there was some talk about that, some rumors going on. And Nero needed some scapegoats. So who do you think he blamed? Blame Christians. So he started throwing some of the Christians to the lions. Uh, In the big arenas. I'm sure you've heard about that. Read about some of that. Christians being thrown to the lions. Uh, Nero had beautiful gardens. And he would take Christians and he would would dip them in pitch. A tar-like material. And he would tie them up on a big stake, a big pole. And he would light them as human torches. To light his beautiful gardens. That was the kind of man that Nero was. And again, Paul's in prison and he's not expecting to be delivered uh, this time. Well, while he's in prison, he starts thinking about Timothy, his son in the faith. And the Bible says here he recalls Timothy's tears. 
Timothy was probably in that group, you'll recall, when Paul, uh, years earlier, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he didn't want to take the time to stop in at Ephesus, so he went there to the beach there at Miletus and he called for the Ephesian elders to come over and he said, you're probably not going to see my face anymore. And they were all hugging and crying there on the beach and Paul got on the ship and he continued his journey to Jerusalem. Now Timothy was probably in that crowd as they were all weeping on the beach and saying goodbye to Paul and and afraid that they'd never see the Apostle Paul again. And, and, And Paul is writing now, he says, Timothy, I remember those tears. And then something happens in verse 5. He says, I've received a reminder of the sincere faith in you. And the way it is in the Greek text, some type of reminder from the outside. Maybe a letter has come to the prison. Paul reads that letter and he thinks of his son in the faith, Timothy. Some scholars believe it's this fellow at the end of chapter 1 by the name of Onesiphorus. He was one of the people there in the church at Ephesus. And Onesiphorus has come to Rome to look for Paul, find Paul, visits with him there in that dungeon. And maybe Onesiphorus begins to talk about how the church is going. I'm sure Paul wanted to know, uh, is the church still growing? Is it still healthy? How's everybody doing? How's Timothy doing as the pastor? Uh, Things going well? He's reminded of Timothy. And he says, Timothy, what I think about here is your sincere faith. I want us to think about that today for a moment, okay? Just two points today. First of all, a sincere faith gets people's attention. There are so many today who are superficial in their Christian walk. You know, it's kind of like something they remember at Christmas and Easter and that's about it. Some people call, call uh, folks like that CEOs, Christmas and Easter onlys. They'll go to church at Christmas or, and Easter or just even if they go more often, they get home, they take off the dress or the suit of clothes and that's where they leave all thinking about church or the Christian faith until the time they go back next week or whenever the next time they're going to go back. They don't think about their Christian faith or their impact at all. That's sad. Far too many like that though. And folks, that kind of faith won't ever impact Anybody will it. Jesus said we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Our lives are supposed to be lives of impact. And if we're going to make a difference in the Christian faith, we've got to be genuine. Now, not a perfect faith, but a genuine faith. Not perfect, but genuine. Now, notice in verse 5, Paul talks about his sincere faith. Some translations say unfeigned. Others, a faith without hypocrisy. It's the word hypocritos. Any guesses what word we get from hypocritos? I I think I heard it. Say it louder. Hypocrite. Okay? And then it's got the A in front of it. Now what's that do to a word when you put the A in front of it? 
It what? It makes it negative. So it's the word for hypocrite. Timothy, I think about your faith. Your faith, which is you're a hypocrite, and he puts the A in front of it, and it's like what we do today. Same thing we do today. A theist today would be somebody that recognizes there's a God, right? A theist. Okay, you put the A in front of theist, and what do you have? Atheist. Negates it. Somebody who doesn't acknowledge God. Well, it's interesting, Paul uses the word for hypocrite, puts that A in front of it to communicate, Timothy, I think of your sincere faith. Before this even, in ancient times, the word hypocrite, though, initially meant somebody who was talented. The Greek plays, the dramas. In one scene, you might be the good guy and you'd have a mask. You've seen some of those Greek masks, right? Painted up and all. And you might come out in scene one and have the mask of the good character on and you'd play that part in scene one. And then you'd go behind the curtains and you'd change into another costume, put on another mask, come out in scene two. You might be the bad guy. You were a talented actor. You were a star. You were a hypocrite. And then over time it came to have that negative connotation of somebody who's two-faced. Depending on whatever scenario they're in, they're that way and you put them over in another environment and they're another way. And then it came to, like I say, take on very negative connotations. And Paul says to Timothy, that's not how you were at all. That's not how you are. That's not what I remember about you. I remember how authentic and genuine and real your faith is. How unalloyed it is, as some translations say. And that calls to mind how they would, how they would purify gold. They'd heat it up and get it all melted down and the impurities would float to the top. And they'd scoop the impurities off. They'd heat it up some more. More impurities would come to the top. They'd scoop that off until all they were left with was pure gold. And Paul says, Timothy, that's how your faith is. He didn't have a little bit of Jesus along with a whole bunch of the world. That's not how Timothy lived his life. Timothy's faith faith wasn't a mixture. He was the real thing. Now I found the following stories a little bit humorous about hypocrisy but sad. Did you know that Jesse James killed a fella in a bank robbery and shortly thereafter was baptized in the Kearney Baptist Church? Then he killed another man, a bank cashier, and joined the church choir and taught him singing. That old Jesse, he liked Sundays, but he couldn't always go to church because you see on two Sundays he was busy out robbing trains. You know what a hypocrite is? Somebody said a hypocrite is a man who complains that there's too much foul language and violence on his Blu-ray player. (laughs) 
This next story comes from the Associated Press back in 1990. In San Jose, California, Luke Goodrich was burning garbage out back of his home, and that's against the law. Well, there Luke was burning the garbage. The fire got away from him. It spread over 100 acres. It took six helicopters and 400 firefighters to put it out. Now, you know what makes that so bad? You know who Luke Goodrich was? He was the head of the San Jose Fire Department. We sing sweet hour of prayer and we're content with five minutes of prayer a day if even that. We sing all for a thousand tongues to sing. And we don't use the one we have to praise God. We sing I love to tell the story. And maybe we've never shared our faith in Christ with anybody our whole life. Or we'll sing, blessed be the tie that binds and we'll let the least little offense offend us. Listen to this poem I found. The poem goes like this. I knelt to pray when the day was done and prayed, Lord bless everyone, lift from each heart the pain and let the sick be well again. And then I woke again one day and carelessly went on my way. The whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from any eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again, when that day was done, I prayed, Lord bless everyone. But as I prayed to my ear came a voice that whispered, Dear Sir, pause. Before you pray, whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve him here below. And then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, Lord, for I have lied. Let me but live another day, and I will live the way I pray. That's a great line, isn't it? And then I will live the way I pray. We've got to be real. A sincere faith is what gets people's attention. Moms, dads, is your faith real? Is it genuine? Is it sincere? Is it growing? Secondly, I want you to see this morning a sincere faith is to be modeled in the home. We all know that there's a lot of things we ought to be doing to prepare our kids for life. We try to help them with a good education. We try to set a a good example for them to be hard workers and to be honest, to pay our bills on time, to use proper language around our children. Though as Christians, I hope we do that anyway. But we try to teach them so much, so many good things. But what type of spiritual foundation are we concerned about? Is there a genuine love for Christ and the Word of God and the things of God? You see, there can be some problems sometimes. What happens if on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights we pull up on the overhangs, we drop the kids out, send them off to children's choir or Awana or youth while we go out and do our grocery shopping or sit over in the core cafe drinking coffee and checking our emails. What's the message that we're sending to our kids if we do that? 
We're saying, son, when you're little, you need to go to church. But when you get big like me, you can skip. It's not important. And the youth of today must be getting that message because by age 18, about 88% of them are walking away from the church never to return. But do we take our kids to church or send them to church? You know, it used to be a long time ago, people just send their kids on a bus when buses would come through communities. Send them to church instead of going with them. And we're just teaching them, again, when you grow up like me, you don't need to go to church. But wouldn't it be better... When we met up with them that evening, they got in the car. We say, son, what would you learn in Awana tonight? Here's what we learned in big church. That would be a whole lot better, wouldn't it? What are we building? Are we building things that last? Paul said to the Corinthians, some of you who are no doubt believers, you're saved. But he said to some of them at Corinth, you're, you're building with things that in the day of judgment it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble and all of your life's work is going to be burned up and not mean anything. You'll be saved yet as though by fire. And others are building with gold and silver and precious things and in the day of judgment you're going to be rewarded because you've invested your life with purpose in that which matters. Parents, we need to be investing our lives in that which matters. Building with gold and silver and precious things. We meet Timothy for the first time in the Bible in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. We, we meet him there. He becomes a traveling companion to the apostle Paul. He becomes Paul's son in the faith. We learn there that he had a godly mother by the name of Eunice and a godly grandmother by the name of Lois. And now Paul is writing here about Timothy. Folks, don't miss what's going on here. Three generations of faith. Three generations. Lois, Eunice, and now Timothy. Christianity ought to be a family affair. In fact, that's what Deuteronomy 6 talks about, doesn't it? The church doesn't repent. The church doesn't replace what we do in the home. The church simply comes alongside of and reinforces what we do in the home. So that the messages are the same and line up. What happens if a boy sees his daddy, his daddy who loves Jesus... Turning to Jesus in a time of trial in his life. Turning to the word of God. And he sees how his dad handles that trial. And, and that dad puts his faith in God and trusts God. And, and, and allows the Holy Spirit to work through his life and grow his faith uh, through that valley he's going through. That son may not pick up on it right then. It, 10, 20, 20 years might go by. But boy, you hope that the day will come when that boy's grown and he's going through a trial. He'll remember how dad handled it. And he'll turn to the Lord. Right? James Dobson said, 
The mission of introducing one's children to the Christian faith can be likened to a three-man relay race. First, your father runs his lap around the track carrying the baton, which represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the appropriate moment, he hands the baton to you and you begin your journey around the track. Then finally, the time will come when you must get the baton safely in the hands of your child. But as any track coach will testify, relay races are, are won or lost in the transfer of the baton. There's a critical moment when all can be lost by a fumble or a miscalculation. The baton is rarely dropped on the backside of the track when the runner has, firmly, uh, has it firmly in his grasp. If failure is to occur, it will likely happen in the exchange between generations. You remember that movie, Dead Poet Society? Robin Williams. He was that English professor in a prep school. And he had that classroom full of boys and he took them out in the hallway and showed them the portraits of past students. He said, look, look at these students who went here many, many years ago. They're all grown now and they're old and most of them have even died. But I want you to lean in closely and listen to them. Because there was a day that they were just like you. Young and ambitious and with the whole world out before them. And what are they saying to you young men? They're saying, carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day. That's what we have to do with our Christian faith. Seize the day. Here's Timothy, a leader in the church now. He's the pastor there at Ephesus. The apostle Paul has discipled him. But who does it all go back to? It goes back to a godly mother named Eunice and a godly grandmother named Lois. You see from the book of Acts, it seems like Timothy's dad was not a believer. And Eunice and Lois took Timothy and they discipled him and he became a man of God and a leader in the first century church. You reckon Lois and Eunice ever thought that was going to happen with that boy? You think as Eunice was training her son up in the faith, she had any idea of how God was going to use her child in the faith one day? And yet God did. Ladies, here was a mother, sad to say it's not the way it ought to be. Apparently she got no help from her husband. Again, he was an unbeliever. But she still invested her faith in her son. And man, what a difference it made. What a difference. That day came that Timothy trusted Christ. You see, God has no grandchildren. Timothy wasn't a blessed man simply because his mom was a woman of faith. But she instilled Christian faith in him and he trusted Christ and was saved. 
And moms and dads, I said today we were going to go on a journey. Okay, let's get back to that thought for a minute in closing, okay? Going to go on a journey. What do you do if you're about to go on a trip, an extensive trip? Who might you call? Say that again. Travel agent, okay? You call a travel agent, say, we want to leave this day, fly here, do this, need the car these days, come back, right? And they, they go search out all that and get the best prices to you. And then they'll put it all, they'll fill in their form with all the information and they'll attach it in an email and they'll send it off to you. And you can open up your email and the attachment and there's your itinerary for the trip, right? Right? What's the travel agent doing? The travel agent's planning out your trip for you and is saying, here you go. Go and have fun. What's the tour guide do? Tour guide says, everybody gather over here. Come on, line up behind me. Line up behind me, everybody. Got your suntan lotion, got your bottled water, got your extra shoes, your walking shoes. Come on, line up, line up behind me. Let's go. I'll, I'll be with you every step of the way. Don't worry, just walk where I, walk where I walk and do what I do. I'll be with you for this whole journey today. That's what a tour guide does. Tour guide goes with you. Tour guides out front sets the example. Travel agent just plans your trip and hands it to you and says, here, you go and do it. Perhaps we've got too many parents today who are travel guides, uh, travel agents. We need more parents who are tour guides. Are you a travel agent? Or are you a tour guide? Would you bow with me please? Lord we know that you've left us here on this earth after being saved to be on a journey of faith to grow, to mature, to follow Jesus, to reach a lost world. Help us to live lives of impact. Lord, you tell us in the book of Acts that starts at our Jerusalem and spreads out from there. Lord, help us to be tour guides that we could be like the Apostle Paul when Paul said to a church congregation, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. May it be so. God, be with our parents today. So many challenges. The culture that we live in, it, it assaults our families from every direction. So many stresses on moms and dads just trying to survive and make a living and, and raise their kids. 
But Lord, help us to understand that there's nothing more important than the spiritual foundation. Our children need Jesus. May people be able to look at us and follow in our footsteps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.